This is Mind Mastery Week, featuring eight guests, 16 episodes over five days. Welcome to day three and this special episode featuring Roxana Hussein. Have you ever wondered what it takes to create a life that's free from the bonds of corporate slavery? Maybe you're already on that journey, but you're still figuring it out. This show aims to show you the way by sharing the real stories, strategies, tactics, trials and tribulations of freedom seekers at different stages of their journeys, from running a business on the side to serial entrepreneurs who've launched and scaled multiple multi-million dollar firms. Hello, I'm Craigie B. This is Corporate Escape Plan. Hey, hey, it's me, Craigie B. Welcome to the Corporate Escape Plan and our Spring 2020 Mind Mastery Series. Today's guest is fabulous. I love her so much. Her name is Roxana Hussein. She is a life and transformation coach. And she joined us at the beginning of this week to share with share with us her one number one biggest, most, most impactful discovery that she's made in building a success mindset in life and business. And in that episode, Roxana talked about how journaling helped her understand and embrace her feelings in ways that were very much empowering for her because it helped her understand her feelings at a very deep level from a very young age. And with the current backdrop of the coronavirus and the um, Um, incredible amount of fear and uncertainty that is perhaps a bigger pandemic than than the pandemic itself I wanted to talk to Roxana and do a deeper dive on the subject of of handling or, or tackling fear and anxiety and overwhelm and Roxana has a very particular take on this subject and and it's to do with actually embracing the feelings and using them to find um, as signals to how to direct your life and take action. So I, I'm hoping that that's a fair introduction. And before we get into that, Roxana, I just want to invite you to share with our listeners a little bit of your backstory. Thank you, Craig. So lovely to be back on again. Um, my backstory. Wow. Um, I don't know where to start. I was saying to my husband yesterday, I've got so many backstories, which one's the best one to share. <laughs> um, but the, um, the nub of it is really that I was the only girl growing up with four brothers. Um, my parents were immigrants and for them, if you thought, if you think about the Maslow's hierarchy of need for them, it was all about making sure that we had a roof over our head and that we were physically safe and secure and our emotional and social needs were not on their list of priorities. Now I kind of grew up into a house that was fairly dysfunctional and I'm, I know that they'll forgive me for saying that um, because they, they kind of can see how it was now. Um, there were lots of people coming and going, lots of cousins and uncles and aunts and it was just a really busy household and I always felt as a child that my needs and me as a person, I was at the bottom of the pecking order. And I kind of grew up feeling 
unwanted and I don't think it was deliberate I don't think that they intended to make me feel that way but I did and I was the only girl I grew up in obviously a Pakistani Asian family where there is this kind of cultural um, ingrained belief that girls grow up they get married and that's what that's what life is preparing them for and that alone and I remember having to battle with my dad when I was about 16 to convince him to let me go to college and university. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, by that age, I think I'd become quite a rebel and I was quite full on with, with using my voice uh, for the things that I felt mattered to me. Um, and so, yeah, he, he, he was convinced he let me go, but it was still kind of, I was still having to seek his permission and his blessing, which really upset me because none of my friends had to do that. None of my Western English friends had to do that. Um, and then following that, I went to college and I went to university and it was the best thing that I ever did because it broadened my mind. It helped me, it introduced me to people that lived in so many different ways. And I realized that there isn't just one way to be. And I really kind of clung on to that, that I actually, I can define my life and I can be whoever I want to be. And the rest is really history because I've kind of gone from strength to strength to strength in terms of developing who I am. And, and Craig, the person talking to you today will be very different to the to a person in a year's time because I never stop evolving and changing. Um, so, you know, it's that's who I am. I've, I've kind of had to fight for my rights, if you like. And mm-hmm. um, I wasn't, nobody believed in me or, or supported me or helped me explore who I could be. I had to do that on my own. And I don't know how or why I had the foresight to do that, but I did. And that's what brings me here today. Well, thank goodness that happened in, in many respects, because it, it, it's, it's going to, that's all going to play as a huge part in you winding up here on this show, among other things, <laughs> probably wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for all of that. I'm willing to bet. So anyway, so we decided didn't we that we were gonna dive a little deeper into um what with the epidemic of fear and uncertainty anxiety and overwhelm that there is in the world we we were going to talk about um your your take on how you can actually use fear as a uh, um, fear and uncertainty those emotions as signals I think that's what you said, isn't it? I did, Um, I did, yes. Yeah, so I'd I'd really like you to, having set the scene a little bit, to to share what you mean by that. Well, I think what's important, Craig, is before I delve into what I mean by signals, I think we all need to get on the same page in terms of what we understand fear to be. Mm. So in my mind, fear, or my understanding and all the research that I've done and my personal experience what I've come to know is that fear is an emotion that's triggered by a perceived threat, something that could happen to us, Mm -hmm. not necessarily to be um, confused with danger. You know, danger is when we are in real danger, you know, where a bus is coming and we're in the road, that's danger, you know, or we're, we're eye to eye with a saber toothed tiger. That's danger. But fear is something quite different. Fear is a perceived threat. I think this thing could happen to me. 
is what fear is. Okay. Now, fear, the thing with fear is it's an essential basic survival mechanism that signals our bodies to respond to, to a danger with a fight or flight response. Now, without fear, Craig, you and I would walk into traffic. We would eat anything, poisonous foods, and end up jeopardizing our health and our survival. So we need fear. It's essential. It's an essential emotion for us, for our survival. The thing is, though, chronic fear, and I think that's what's really relevant today because mm. of the of this pandemic and how long it's going on for because there is no end in sight yeah chronic fear can actually interrupt the processes in our brain that allows us to regulate our emotions it stops us from reading nonverbal cues and it stops us from reflecting before we act so we can act ethically we can act unethically when we're in um chronic fear situation so for example if you think back to when the pandemic started and the amount of people that were pushing each other out the way to get their toilet roll and pasta they would ordinarily never even think about being that kind of person that would do that but when you're in a state of chronic fear the whole country the whole world in this case is all worrying about the same thing and this lack of and our survival might be at risk. We behave unethically. It's, mm. our, it's a primitive reaction that's built within us to make sure that we survive. So what, what's actually happening inside the brain when, um, you, when you talked about it causes people, when it happens, to behave differently than that they would normally be expected or even expect themselves to behave? It's, it's basically the fight or flight response that's triggered. Mm. It's that kind of, I've got to do something. I've got to, so, I've got to deal with this. I've got to make sure that I'm going to survive. And that raises your cortisol levels. That changes your biology completely. It releases adrenaline. And you're kind of in this situation where you're ready to fight over what in the modern world will look quite a pathetic thing to fight over, but it's you're controlling the controllables. So you're thinking by making sure I'm stocked up at X, Y, and Z, I'll be okay then. And you will behave unethically to make sure that you can kind of calm that urge down within you and, and get back to a place where you're just feeling, okay, I've got this. I've done what I can. I've mitigated as much risk as I can. Um, so I'm okay now. And then you kind of everything returns to normal after a few days until you need to hit the shops again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so basically, chronic fear impacts our thinking, our decision making in such negative ways. And it leaves us susceptible to this intense emotion and impulsive reactions. You know, we start to say things about people. We start judging other people for the decisions that they're making things that probably for most of us would be out of character, it becomes quite a norm to be able to say, oh, look at so-and-so doing this, that, or the other. And that's what, if you, when you're in a chronic state of fear, that's what it does to you. Now, that's the kind of, just to get us all on the same page. That's what fear, I think, is. And that's been my interpretation of it up until now. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing is, in our Western society, we see fear as something to conquer, to fight, to overcome 
essentially what we're doing is we're pushing it away. It's not something that we want to be part of our human experience. It's not something that we think is useful to us in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And I can understand why, because the emotional intensity of fear is so powerful. It's one of the most intense feelings that we can feel. And I don't know, Craig, have you ever, have you ever experienced fear physically and emotionally in, in your body? Yes, I have. And there, there have been occasions um, in the past where, when I've experienced it at quite an intense level. Mm. So, yeah, definitely. It's an intense feeling, isn't it? And I think the thoughts that the thoughts that come about when we have fear is things like, oh, this is terrifying, or this is horrific, or this is embarrassing, or, you know, if it's some other kind of social situation, we might think, oh, this is shameful, or I feel guilty, or oh God, this is unrecoverable, or I'm debilitated. And and those are the kinds of thoughts that we associate with fear. And they're societal, you know, when we've seen movies and we've experienced other people go through situations or scenarios where fear and danger has been a part of that equation. Those are the words that have been spoken around us. And that then what happens is we feel a feeling. We have these thoughts and collectively there's this like really intense emotion within us that we feel we need to push away. The problem is sometimes we feel all of these things in one go, in one big hit. And we, we can't control how, where we're going to feel fear on the spectrum of fear. So fear, if you've got a fear of dogs versus a bus is coming, that is not for you to decide. Like you're, You are literally going to feel fear however fear shows up for you because it's going to be like, warning, 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 you're in danger, you need to do something you know because it's a perceived threat now the thing is when we push fear away it's of course it creates this form of resistance within us and i follow the work of Eckhart Tolle who's an amazing amazing guy he's a spiritual leader and what he says is what we resist persists so anything we push away anything we're resisting it persists I like that phrase. Yeah, it's amazing. You should get his books. I mean, I, I, I will send you all the links to his his stuff. He's amazing. Oh, excellent. Yes. <laughs> to the show notes. Great. Yes. So what happens is when we ha- when, when fear shows up in us, there's three ways that our behavior completely changes in everyday people. So you'll know and I'll know from our experiences that fear forces us to play small in life. We don't do things. We start avoiding situations and we're, we're quite tactful about that. You know, if we, fear, if we fear the dark, we'll make sure we're home by a certain time. And if we fear public speaking, we'll make sure we never put our hand up to answer a question in case people watch us or, you know, our fears are realised. Mm-hmm. Whatever your fear is, you'll even lie to make sure you don't have to face your fear. And this is the thing with fear is when we resist it and push it away, it makes us behave out of character. It makes us become something we're not or something we don't wish to be. Yeah. And then if you do find yourself having to face your fear, something else happens. It debilitates you. So as I've said already, the flight and fight response comes up for people and you have this adrenaline rush, and in that moment, it, it comes to help you cope, 
the adrenaline but when that wears off you might find that you can't function properly for up to two three four days yeah i lost um, when you asked the question uh, have i experienced this myself and i i was thinking about um a time when i i was under extreme fear i was operating in an extreme fear um situation and one of the things i remember about it is that i found it incredibly difficult to mobilize my um my logical um um the the logical processes that i'm normally very good at in terms of you know being able to map out uh, an approach or you know to mm. get get myself to navigate myself out of a situation all of the all of the 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 like the planning um stuff that i'm really good at you know i'm really good at coming up with ideas in a normal situation uh you know the kind of ideas that would very quickly enable me to come up with a plan and i noticed that that side of things um i found extraordinarily difficult when i was under intense in an intense fear situation and that doesn't surprise me at all craig because what's happening is that your body's going into survival mode and when you're surviving it has no reason to be creative or resourceful or to think in a, a logical way it's literally fighting off the threat it's thinking what do i need to do to survive okay i need to do these two three things and it might just even be one thing it might be this one thing i need to run right now or i need to just remember to breathe right now it might be just like literally going down because our brain has a really clever way of making us narrow down our focus when we're in times of fear to just one thing at a time most people at the moment during the pandemic who are at home juggling work life kids homeschooling all of this kind of thing are struggling yes because of the workload but also because when when there's this kind of overwhelming fear hanging above us it's really hard to multitask. Mm. It's almost impossible to multitask. And so the pressure is on top of having to multitask at a level that nobody's had to ever before, really, because we all have our support structures, our children go to school, or you know, we've got after school clubs for them that they go to, and all of these things enable us to work a longer day and do what we do. Without our support structures, we're scuppered, you know, we're having to figure it all out and we're having to be parents and teachers and our employers are expecting us to continue um, producing and being as productive as we always were. And it's physically, I would say, I mean, I don't have any scientific proof for this, but I would say it's probably biologically impossible for your body to function in a resourceful creative solution orientated way when there's a massive fear hanging over you that's my theory you yeah know, that's my theory <laughs> <laughs> now so the yeah. second thing i said was that fear debilitates us and and that was great that you came in with your own example because i think most people will will feel the same they, they can recall a time that fear debilitated them mm-hmm. yeah the thing is, though, the third thing that can happen is if we leave a fear to fester and we let it grow and we don't do something with it early on, it can morph into a phobia. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine all the anxiety that you feel with a fear, 
whatever that fear might be, scared of dogs, public speaking, whatever it is that you're scared of or you fear. Now imagine that heightened like 50 times. And that's how you feel when you have a phobia. It's like this intense, debilitating, crippling feeling. And it stops people from living a normal life with a decent quality of life. They literally retreat because they can't imagine having to ever, they can't, they don't even let their minds go to the fear or the phobia because the thought of it and the mere thought of it is enough to send them off into a panic attack. Yeah. So in a way, the fear itself is trying to protect them, but it's actually, it's actually backfiring as a, yeah well this is it as a society what we do is we push fear away we push this emotion away we don't want to think about it we don't want to engage with it we don't want to see what's going on Mm. but here's where my thoughts and opinions about fear probably differ from most people's what if fear was an amazing act of your imagination what if fear was actually something profound and something insightful. Okay. What if fear was your mind's way of telling you a story or sending you a signal with this positive intention? Because it's our experiences that make us think about emotions in a certain way, as I said before. Our nature nurture you know when we think about everybody that if if some if our parent was scared of spiders we'll probably be scared of spiders you know and the words that they would have used around that fear become our words but what i'm saying is if we strip all of that away our life experience of living with a fear and if we think that this is a signal or a story with a very positive intention And what instead of thinking of these thoughts as fear, we thought of them as these positive intentions, these positive signals from the future. You might know this as your instinct Mm -hmm. that's alerting you to just prepare more deeply. Prepare more deeply. That's it. Just are you prepared, Craig? Are you prepared? That's it. What if that's all it's asking you to do? And fear, much like stories, has this similar form of suspense. So when we're imagining our fear, we're always wondering, so what will happen next? So if I'm scared of public speaking, and then this happens, and what will happen then? And what will happen then? And it just spirals out of complete control and becomes this very irrational, highly unlikely scenario. And you've probably seen the acronym of fear it becomes like false evidence appearing real. Yeah. I first heard that phrase um, to describe fear in about 1999, I reckon. Mm. And I loved it because it helped me understand that most of what you imagine could happen is simply that. It's your imagination. Yeah, absolutely. It's your imagination. And this is what brings me beautifully onto my next point. We really have to think carefully about how we read our thoughts and our fears. Um, When we get the signal, when we get the cue, are you prepared that this thing could happen? What if we were to then take those thoughts and start to control the scenario in our mind? So this is visualization. 
-hmm. something that we always do anyway, even when we're imagining the worst case scenario, that's still visualization. But in this case, you're proactively controlling the scenario like a movie director, Mm -hmm. where you're literally thinking about what your desired outcome would be. So in a situation where we're thinking about public speaking, my desired outcome would be, I would like to uh, be able to deliver all of my content in a way that empowers, in a way that, you know, people understand. And at the end of it, I feel like I've done a really good job and I get people come up and ask me more questions. Like that would be my, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, that would be like a, a desired outcome. Yeah. You see, our thoughts become our reality and whatever we concentrate our minds and our thoughts on, that is what becomes our reality because we give energy to that. So whatever we give energy to becomes our reality. So this is where visualization is beautiful and empowering and you can use it to reframe your thinking. You can use it to direct and take you towards your desired outcome. So I always think of fear as this beautiful, productive collaboration of your instinct and your imagination. I like that. Yeah, it's just like a little snippet of your future coming forward to say, this could happen. And so all that's telling us is be prepared, get prepared. And so what I wanted to do was share with your listeners a quick framework, which I was taught I was taught by a coach about two years ago because I had, and you probably won't believe this, Craig, but I had this crippling fear of public speaking. Really? I, yes. Wow. Goodness <laughs> goodness me, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was, it was terrible. I wouldn't have been able to do this. I wouldn't be able to speak on a podcast knowing that there might be hundreds of people listening to me and listening to my voice. So I hired this amazing coach and she taught me this really, really cool tool amongst many other things, Uh uh, which I'm going to share with you. Now this framework, it merges reality, instinct and imagination to create this evidence that your mind needs to diminish fear. Uh And I've used it with many of my clients a myriad of different things and it works in every scenario so what you do is if you imagine that you've got a table in front of you and the first column of the table you write down your fear so whatever it might be the worst case scenario so I might say I may not make sense and lose the interest of the audience is my kind of example of my worst case scenario what you do then in the column next to it is that you imagine the worst case scenario and then you write down Um, a percentage so how likely is it that this fear will be realized and obviously right now I'm filled with lots of fearsome thoughts so I'm thinking there's a 70% chance that this fear will be realized Mm -hmm. okay what you do next is you completely change your state so you walk away from this sheet you go and go for a walk you listen to music you go for a dance you do whatever you need to do to physically change your state And the fastest way to do this is through motion and movement. So if we just move about for 15, 20 minutes, we can completely change our state. Then what you do is after 15, 20, half an hour, uh, half an hour or so has passed, you sit back down. And now what you're doing is you're writing down in the third column all the evidence to suggest how unlikely it is to happen. So now you're looking for evidence. Okay, so my first example would be 
it's never happened to me in all the time that I've ever had to publicly speak. It's never happened that I may not make sense or lose the interest of the audience. Mm -hmm. Number two, I know my subject really well. I've done all my research. I wouldn't put myself forward if I wasn't ready to do this. Number three, I already anticipate the questions the audience is likely to ask and I've weaved them into my talk. Mm -hmm. Okay, so those are the things that I've done to create the evidence to suggest how unlikely it is to happen. Yeah. So after reviewing the evidence, I'm now going to give a new score, a new probability of how likely it is to happen. And just by doing that one exercise, I've gone from a 70% chance to a 15% chance of my fear being realized now. It's quite drastic, quite yeah. big. Now, this new percentage is drastically lower, but there's one more thing that I can do to give my mind the evidence that it needs. And that is to create a strategy to mitigate that risk even more, that 15% that's still left. So what I can do then is think about two or three things that I can do, that I can learn, that I can encourage to make sure that even that 15% is down to as close to zero as possible. So in this case, I might say, well, I can take notes in so I don't lose my chain of thought. Okay, that's one thing. That's a quick fix. I can find out who's going to be in the audience and I can anticipate the tough questions. Like I can let my mind go there and imagine what they're going to say that where they're really conflicted and they don't understand my concept. And the third thing I can do is use visualization to grow my confidence. I can imagine myself giving a wonderful speech and wonderful talk and seeing myself finishing at the end with this amazing kind of feeling of accomplishment because when, as I said before, if we, whatever we give energy to becomes our reality. So if I, if I do visualization on all the days leading up to this talk, it will lead me to be able to take that 15% all the way down to under 5%. Because, you know, I could wear the wrong shoes and fall over, <laughs> <laughs> which, which can happen, right? Yeah. So this framework works no matter what the fear is. It's even helped my daughter to swim in the adult swimming pool. She had this fear of deep water. And although she was a brilliant swimmer, she just wouldn't go into an adult swimming pool. Um, so I used this framework on her and it's worked like a treat. Within a few days, she was treading water and couldn't believe that she was doing it. Oh, wow. I think that's great that you, you've given her this really helpful life skill at such a young age that's fabulous and and that it um so it's something that a, it's actually something that a young child could use yes so it's something yeah. that anybody literally anybody could use this and i'm really happy to send you a copy so you can share it with your listeners if you want to because right. i think that it's such a simple but powerful tool that it's and it's helped so many of my clients who wouldn't even you know who who had phobias and they wouldn't let their mind go to the fear mm. to help them to just do it in a gentle way so we didn't go to the worst case scenario we went to the okay so if you were having to be in the same room as this as this fear or in the same area geographically 
let's just think about it. it's not near you it's not close to you it's just somewhere in the distance let's start from there and you can actually work your way closer and closer and closer to the point that if it's a phobia of the spider that they can actually be in the same room as a spider and then you take it even deeper where the spider could be anywhere and it doesn't matter anymore you know that that kind of thing mm -hmm. um so what's amazing is that our mind turns a possibility into a probability and that is the work of fear that's the work of resisting fear so actually resisting fear isn't helpful because it quickly turns a possibility into a probability something that's highly unlikely to happen if we give it enough time without any directed thought it could quickly become a probability now here's a fascinating thing craig our mind overestimates the likelihood of things going wrong, mm -hmm. but vastly underestimates our ability to recover from something going wrong. So if I fudge my lines, if I stumble over, if my audience is not interested for whatever reason, I can totally recover from that. I won't be banished and removed from the building. I won't be sent to prison and thrown away and never wanted, you know, nobody ever wanting to speak to me again. Yeah. So I can see, I can see how this tool would help, um, help you address that uh, really early on, as soon as you start having those thoughts yes. in order to prevent it from blowing itself out of proportion. Yeah. So before we get to the stage where we're having to resist the thoughts, we're having to, uh, accommodate and avoid scenarios and situations if you implemented a tool like this early on as soon as you have that first anxiety thought about a particular thing you will do yourself a massive favor because i know people who have lived in fear for decades and that fear has never realized itself in their life but they have stopped themselves from doing so many things and we all know people who have fear of flying that's another another thing that obviously at the moment when not nobody's flying but if you can fly and if you can travel to other countries and the benefit of being around other cultures and enriching your life in that way just that fear of, of flying on the plane stopping you from doing that i just find that so utterly sad that a person's fear becomes this enormous monster that cuts them off from their potential yeah and although i've not used the framework i can i can actually see how it can help i can you know can mm. i can actually imagine or visualize how how it's helpful well i think the frame the framework is like the um the framework is almost like i would say step two step one would be to just start having an awareness mm. of thinking about your fear because when we have fear what we tend to do is we avoid thinking about the fear and it becomes like a monster. You know, when you were a kid and you were lying in bed and you thought there might be a monster behind the door or under your bed. And the more you think about it, the more intense you feel about the possibility that this monster could be there. That's exactly what happens to adults. You know, our minds are still very primitive. Our ego is still very insecure child. You know, it's our inner child. And as soon as we have a fear, whatever that might be, even as an adult, our thinking actually hasn't evolved we still think oh my god and then this could happen and then this could happen and then that could happen and your mind will let you go to the 
darkest, deepest, very unlikely places. And it's hard to recover from that because you've actually allowed your mind to experience so many negative, unhelpful, toxic emotions that then you need to just kind of get over it somehow. And unfortunately, some people develop crutches like alcohol and drugs and gambling and other things to start alleviating some of the pressure that they're feeling to try to numb it down, you know, eating excessively or becoming addicted to other things. So one, you know, having a fear of fear can lead to you developing, you know, unwanted crutches in your life that then lead to more and more and more problems. So I feel like, you know, addressing it with a tool and a mindset shift, thinking about fear as actually being this cue, this signal where your instinct and your imagination is just checking in to see if you're prepared. What if that's all it is? Wow, so good. So thank you so much, Roxana, for diving into this for the benefit of our audience. It's been really, really fascinating and and I've really enjoyed learning about your framework for, for tackling and managing your way out of a fear, fearful situation. I think it's really good. So before we go, what we always like to do at the end of each episode is invite our guests to tell people how they can find you online and also to promote something of yours, one thing that you think would be helpful to our listeners for them to know about. Awesome. Thank you, Craig. It's been amazing. Um, Well, I am on um, Facebook and I'm on Instagram. I also have a website. So my name is spelt uh, R-O-K-S-A-N-A-H-U-S-S-E-I-N. And my website is www.roxanahussein.com. The biggest thing that I would love your listeners to do is to find my podcast, which is called Personal Power Boost. And it's on iTunes. Um, I've just launched very, very currently. I think when your episode goes out, it will literally be um, published around that time. So I'd love it if people can come and have a little listen and see if they like my vibe and they like what I'm talking about. Because one of the things I'm really power in, in, well, one of the things that I love doing is empowering people and to support them to tap into their personal power. Mm -hmm. Um, I love to build self-efficacy in people just to give them a framework and some tools so that they can pull out their own gifts and talents and and figure out a path for themselves rather than doing it for them. And that's what my podcast is all about. It's about learning frameworks that other people have used, learning where people started in their traje- trajectory, um, because we don't all start in the same place, and, be, and hopefully being inspired, motivated, and learning actionable tips to, to do the same in their lives. So check out my podcast, Personal Power Boost, on iTunes. Personal power boost on iTunes. That's it. Uh, So, yeah, do please go check it out. And if you like what you hear on Roxana's show, then do subscribe to the show, download all the launch episodes and rate and review it as well. Um, Roxana would really appreciate your 
ratings and reviews. Um, I'm certain of that. So go check it out, please do. And Roxana, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you to have you on the show. Thank you. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure to be somebody who hated public speaking to be able to do a podcast and and to support your audience in this way. Um, it's my pleasure. Well, I'm so glad that you overcame that so that you'd be able to appear on our show. Thank you. Thank you.